God's plan is to bring David's son Jesus into the world, the Messiah that nobody wanted, the servant who would suffer for the sins of the world and to be revealed in his word to in the Old Testament and revealed in his word of the gospel. Now we turn to the New Testament of 1 Peter and we see Christians who are under Jewish judgment. Verse 1, Simeon Peter, servant of Apostle Christ Jesus, to those who have obtained a faith of equal standing with ours. Oh, I'm reading 2 Peter. Just a minute. 1 Peter. That's better. Hey, I had your worry, didn't it? So what's wrong with my Bible? Nothing. It's just wrong with mine. Okay, here we go again. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who are elect exiles of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, in the sanctification of the Spirit, for the obedience to Jesus Christ, and for sprinkling with his blood, may grace and peace be multiplied to you. Those places mentioned in verse 1 are all in Turkey. Turkey was a long way away from the promised land. It was a long way away from Jerusalem. These were Jews living in the dispersion. They were exiles. They were dispersed. They were living under the judgment of God. For the true Jew wanted to be in Jerusalem, wanted to be in the temple precincts, wanted to be there. But these people had been scattered because of the sinfulness of the, work of the Jewish nation. They'd been scattered by the Assyrians or the Babylonians or the Persians or by now the Greeks or by now the Romans. They had been scattered. But these actual were at-home Christian Jews because they were Christians who by God's foreknowledge, foreknowledge of God is not just that he knows about the future, he's the one who creates the future. So he, by his foreknowledge, these ones have actually come by the work of the Spirit to obey the gospel of Jesus and so find the forgiveness that comes in his blood. Who would have thought, who would have thought that this is how God was going to fulfill the Old Testament expectations to David? Who would have thought that this is what his plans were, that these people under the Jewish dispersion and judgment actually would be in the kingdom of David and of God? But the entry into the kingdom involved a personal trajectory. So I'm going to read verses 3 to 9 now. Very compact, 1 Peter. Wonderful part of the New Testament. Very compact. And so I need your help to do it quickly. So here we go. I'm going to read the personal trajectory of these people. But I want the groups to, to pay attention. So let me see. I want Kevin and Mike's group. Where are they? Kevin's group, Mike's group. I want you to listen to what is in the past. Right? I'm going to ask you to tell me what's in the past. And then Phil and Simon's group, they're over here somewhere, aren't they? I want you to tell me what's in the future. And the rest of you, which is Todd's, Ling's, Ben's, Monique's group, What's in the present? Past, present, future. All right? In this passage. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled and unfading, kept in heaven for you who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, 
more precious than gold that perishes though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honour at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Hey, that is one paragraph, isn't it? You can spend the rest of the day and the rest of the week and possibly till the Lord returns untangling that paragraph. But let's try it out in terms of references to the past. What did you see about the past that is being referred to? Their past, the past either. We can't spend too much time here, so do speak up. What did you find? Yes? He's given us a new birth. Uh, he's given a new birth, verse 3. The resurrection of Jesus has already happened, yes. Sorry? They have been grieved by trials, yes. Anything else about the past here? All right, what about the... Yep. They haven't seen him. They haven't seen him, yes. What about the, the, the future? I mean, a bit... Sorry, the present people, they take a little bit of time to think. The future people. What did you find out about the future here? The salvation of their souls. The salvation of their souls is coming, Yes. Yes, they have this incredible inheritance, these, these imperishable, undefiled and unfading. Yes? Praise, glory and honour when Jesus is revealed. Yes, Jesus is to be revealed and that's when they'll get praise and glory and honour. Yes, it's good. Okay, what about the present, friends? What did you find out about the present? You relieve in him and you rejoice in him now. Yes? You're getting refined through, through trials, yes. That yeah, You may get the grief now, yes. That you have a living hope right now, that's right. And the inheritance is now being kept and something else is being guarded here. Their faith, yes. See... The trajectory is here in their lives. The trajectory is spelled out for it. It's all based on God's plan and Jesus' death and resurrection. But for them, it started with rebirth in verse 3. Born again, been a living hope. That's the end point of the trajectory is there also in verse 4. The inheritance that's like no other, imperishable, undefiled and unfading, that is kept in heaven for you. Okay, I have it. I have it stored up. I have a salvation that is ready to be revealed at the end time. It's already there. But what about now? Well, now, between being born again and receiving the inheritance, now I'm receiving the salvation of the inheritance, for now we read in verse 5 and 6 to 9, now we're being guarded by God's power through the faith that the various trials are purifying. That is, it's like this. It's, it's like at birth, I received an inheritance in the bank. And during my lifetime, I'm being guarded as I journey from there to the bank account to pick up the inheritance at the end. But the journey is one of faith. I've got to trust that that promise that there's an inheritance is true. But as I go through that, I get through all kinds of difficulties and problems, trusting that God is there, the inheritance to there, trusting God to get me there. So life 
now is one of joy, for I'm looking forward to the positive outcome. I'm looking forward to that which has been promised. There's no reason for a Christian to be negative because we know eternal life. Every Christian has a reason to rejoice. Rejoice in the Lord, I say. Again, I say rejoice, says the Apostle Paul. But now, verse 7, well, I might be grieved by various trials. However, I know that this is how God is guarding my faith. See, the thing is kept there for me. It's never going to go away. It's kept there for me. And I am being guarded en route to go and pick it up. If it wasn't kept, if it was fading, if it was perishing, if it took too long to get there and by the time I turned up, inflation had destroyed it. But it's not like that. It is kept in heaven for me. But if I kind of lost the way, but it's not like that because God guards me every step of the way. Do you see the trajectory of the Christian life? It starts in regeneration, ends in salvation, and it travels through trials with joy under God's sovereign guarding hand. Okay, that's the personal trajectory. But it's, it's all part of a historical trajectory of verses 10 to 12. The paragraph is nearly all about the past, the historical past of the Old Testament, but also about the gospel coming to them in Turkey. But it's also in the past. Verse 10. Concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully, inquiring what person or time the spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. It was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves but you in the things that they have now been announced to you through those who have preached the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things into which angels long to look." It's all about the past, isn't it? The prophets prophesying in the past. They searched and inquired. They didn't know. They didn't know what the future held, what time, how it was going to work out. They were very confused about, well, we saw that this morning, didn't we, in the earlier studies. They were confused about a servant. They were confused about this Cyrus, the Messiah. But the spirit within them, who was the spirit of Christ, kept predicting sufferings and subsequent glories. The trajectory will be sufferings of the Christ and the glories of the Christ, subsequently. So it was a trajectory is going to happen in the Christ event. It was revealed to them that they weren't serving their own generation. That is, the Old Testament is written for our generation. The Old Testament is not a Jewish book. The Old Testament is the Christian Bible. Uh, it was written for us, upon whom the end of the ages has come. Notice the two trajectories. One, the word of God, active but hidden in the Old Testament time, but now made clear through the gospel. And secondly, the sufferings and glories of Christ, which again were hidden in the Old Testament time because it didn't make sense. But now that you've seen the cross, you think, yeah, well, that's obvious, isn't it? Well, it's not obvious if you're the other side of the cross. It's only obvious because we're this side of the cross and have had it explained to us. Then we read of the present implications in chapter 113 through to chapter 2, verse 12. Yeah, we're covering a lot in this talk. For us, at this point, for us, at this point in history, with the word of God now made clear in the gospel, after the suffering and before the glories, the sufferings of the Christ, 
the glories are only just being revealed, for us who are living in this present time, after being born again, before receiving the inheritance, as we live guarded by God through the faith that is being tested, therefore, he says, verse 13, therefore preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. What do we have to do? Think. That's what we have to do. Think. Well done. Here you are on a lovely warm Saturday afternoon, the first really warm Saturday afternoon we've had. And what are you doing? Sitting inside, half a year behind masks, listening and thinking. Thinking. That's a very Christian thing to do, to think. I mean, excuse us, we're really dull people, really, aren't we? We're people who just love others. We're people who give our word and keep our word. And we spend our time thinking. It's a very dull religion, ours, right? But dull's good, friends. Dull is really good. It's an activity that you've got to work at, thinking. Thinking about the implications of our future. The end point of our salvation when Jesus returns. Thinking about the implications of what does that mean for living now? What does it mean in our living now towards God, towards each other, and, and towards the outsiders, the Gentiles, the other nations. Let's take them in turn. Verses 14 to 21 teaches about thinking about our relationship with God in the light of this trajectory. Again, this is one of those past, future, and present passages. So as I read, look for the references to the past. You're experts on that now, aren't you? Keep looking for the past, and you keep looking for the future, and we'll have the big crowd looking for the present. As obedient children... Do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance, but as he who has called you is holy, you also be holy uh, in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy, for uh, I am holy. And if you call on him as father who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile, knowing that you were ransomed from the futile ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. He was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but was made manifest in the last times for the, for the sake of you, who through him are believers in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory so that your faith and your hope are in God. You can't read that quickly, can you? It just comes, it's just phrase upon phrase upon phrase. Take your Bible study slowly. Verse 14, what do you see about the present there? Obedient children not to be conformed. What do you say about the past? Well, not to be conformed to the passions of the past. Verses 15 to 17, it really is about the present, isn't it? Be holy in all your conduct. The word holy means to be different, set apart, special. Because you call on God as Father now. That's what the Holy Spirit does for you, doesn't it? Because you're the Holy Spirit, you're born again so that you now call Abba God, Abba Father. Conduct yourselves with fear. Uh, Philippians 2 talks about work out your salvation with fear and trembling because you are now at exiles. That's your present situation. You are, you're not at home yet. You're not in heaven yet. It's, we're, we're on the way. 
But there's a future about it because the future is the father is going to judge. But he doesn't judge partially, he judges impartially. So then verses 18 to 21 speaks of the basis of verses 14 to 16. What we know about the past is that we were ransomed, ransomed by the precious blood. In fact, you can't get much more past than this because it was Jesus' blood who was known before creation. That's about as past as you can go, isn't it? But now made manifest in these last times, which is still the past times. The present, though, is through Jesus, you are now believers in God. You wouldn't believe in God except through Jesus. You don't believe in God properly except through Jesus. And so your faith and hope are now in God. That then all affects our attitude towards Christians. Having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart, since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and abiding word of God. For all flesh is like grass, and all its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers, the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. Heard that before somewhere, haven't I? And this word is the good news that was preached to you. So put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. Like newborn infants, long for the pure spiritual milk that by it you may grow up into salvation, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. Do you see how it's the past? Purifying of your souls, being born again, having tasted that the Lord is good. Do you see that it's the present? Our present is to be changed. We're now to live with sincere brotherly love, earnestly from the pure heart. So put away all malice, deceit, hypocrisy, envy, slander. And our future is caught up in it because that is how we're to grow up into, by the spiritual milk of God's word, to grow up into our salvation in our immediate future. This is how we're to live in the here and now. So these Jewish Christians are fulfilling Israel's trajectory in chapter 2, verses 4 to 10. One of the most beautiful purple passages of the Bible, holding it all together. For having been called to be a holy nation, a kingdom of priests, mediators between God and all the nations, now he applies all the Old Testament expectations to these Jewish Christians. For it is in Christ that they fulfil their God-given role as the people of God not by a building down in Jerusalem, not by wearing the priest's garments, but by the spiritual people who are the spiritual kingdom declaring to the nations the salvation that only the true sacrifice could ever bring. Verse 4. As you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God chosen and precious, you yourselves like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For it stands in Scripture, Behold, I'm laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone chosen and precious, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. So the honour is for you who believe, but for those who do not believe... The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone and a stone stumbling in a rock of offence. They stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to. We're told back in Isaiah, you see, the people wouldn't accept the Messiah that God had set forward, that they wouldn't understand the servant who was coming. 
But you, verse 9, are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvellous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. See, they become in Christ Jesus the Jewish nation that they were supposed to be because it is now a spiritual nation. And that spiritual nation, if we traced it through in Isaiah, actually consists not only of Jews by birth, but Gentiles as well by birth. And so their attitudes toward the Gentiles is changed. They are a nation of priests declaring the wonderful deeds, the excellencies of God, and that great excellency of the salvation that is ours in Christ Jesus. And so they are to live differently before them. Well enough. 1 Peter is such a compact book, especially the first chapter and a half. There's more ideas here that I can possibly deal with. Once you know people, you know, it's Hosea. There's all kinds of bits of the Bible that's just there. It's just, it is the place to spend a year in Bible study group, just working slowly through it. But notice the trajectory, because that's what we're about here. So limiting down to the trajectory. There is a constant pattern in this passage of trajectory that Israel had, that Jesus had, that Jesus' people have. We are not relieved of sufferings of this world. We're not relieved from COVID-19. We're not relieved from being rejected and persecuted. It's really important that you understand this, my friends, because there are very many silly people around today who are saying we should be that we are. In fact, over in Western Australia, there was a large charismatic church there where the pastor said that COVID wouldn't touch their people. They could keep meeting in church because the blood of Jesus would save them from COVID. That is not what the Bible is teaching. We will go through various trials. One of them is sickness. Everyone dies of sickness, you know. No one dies of old age. I want to emphasise this. Old age is not a sickness. It's just something you grow into, right? You will get there one day, I hope, right? But when you do get there, you'll get certain sicknesses in old age, but you don't get old age as a sickness. That's a different thing. No one dies of old age. They die of some sickness. And if all Christians could live without sickness, then the apostles would be giving the talks today. But they're not around because they all died of some sickness or other. That's what they do grasp hold of it. And the idea that we're going to be permanently healthy and well and happy and prosperous is a lie of the devil that distracts people from the truth of the gospel. Various trials and grievances, grieves will, grief will come to us in this lifetime. But be assured that God will guard us through all these things. In fact, God uses these things, uses these things to purify us, like the fire purifying the metal, to give the purity, to get rid of all the impurities. So the harshnesses of some of the things of this world, they're all part of making us more like the Lord Jesus Christ, under the hand of a loving God, a faithful God, who's promised to make us like Christ and who cares enough for us to help us to become like the Lord Jesus Christ. We are assured that God is working his purposes out 
in the world and in your life at the same time. In each one of us, we're assured of the inheritance that lies ahead. Keep your eye on the prize, because that is where it's all there. It's all ready there for you, rather than the things of this world. More of that after our afternoon tea break. But So what do we do at the present in our journey through life? Well, we're to live in holiness now as we wait for him. Holiness means in being different. We don't live the same life. You see, the old life, we, we put to death that old life. We're not conformed by that old life. We're moving on from that old life. That is not where we're going to be, you see. He says, don't be conformed to that anymore. We're to move away from that old life. We are different to the way the world likes Different in a way that the world may respect. Sometimes it does respect us. Sometimes it hates us and despises us. But when the day of visitation comes, that he speaks of in chapter 2, verse uh, 12 or so, when the day of visitation comes, they'll see, yes, we were right all along. Sometimes they see that even before that. But this holiness means to leave behind the old way of life and to embrace the new way of life. Even though we've not arrived, it's kind, of, it's kind of like being on a ship coming to a new country. What, what do you do on the ship for three months as you've come out from, Australia, from Britain to Australia or from Italy to Australia? What, what do you do? Well, start learning the new language. You know you're going to have to learn it when you get there, so you might as well start learning it now. Is that right? and start learning something of the new culture because that's going to happen. You learn more about the country as to where we're going. We went and spoke, I went and spoke last year in Chile and in Argentina. And so a couple of our grandchildren said to Helen, uh, you know, you're going to South America, Grandma, you need to speak Spanish. Check out Duolingo. You can learn to speak Spanish in Duolingo. That was three weeks before we left, which was, a sh well, she's a very clever woman. And I love that the grandsons think so highly of her that they think she could learn Spanish in three weeks from her computer, uh, but uh, from her phone. But uh, she's still working at it uh, 15 months later uh, because she's a very clever woman and persistent and consistent, and she's almost at the point of conversations now. But if you know you're going to go and live in another place with a different language, a different culture, a different way of life, then you don't wait till you get there. We know we're going to be like the Lord Jesus Christ. That is the end point of our goal and our life and our trajectory. Well, we don't wait till we get there. Now is the time to start living that different life like the Lord Jesus Christ. But in all the ups and downs and all the problems and all the circumstances of life, the, the disappointments that come upon you, be assured it's all under God's hand. That's why I like the story that we had earlier on from, from Ling and from Mike. Uh, disappointments, not what they wanted, how he could not want to come and live in Sydney. I mean, yeah. And, uh, there's a lot, of, a lot of eyesight problems in Malaysia, aren't there? Uh, I mean, it just, it just, I mean, clear ignorance. But... God knows what he wants. God knows the changes that are going to come upon people. 
you can have the great disappointments. You failed this, you didn't get into that course, you, you, the love of your life turned out to love somebody else, not you. I mean, there's any number of failures of life that you have, failures of sicknesses that you have that suddenly debilitate you and so that you can't do the things that you wanted to do. And we're now faced with this worldwide failure of health that is across people. And so our lives are, well, we don't know how changed they're going to be, do we? We don't know how we're going to get back to what we had. In fact, we don't know if we're ever going to get back to what we had, do we? It just may never be a possibility. We may always have to stand a distance from each other. And the days of greeting each other with a hearty handshake or a kiss on both cheeks may well be gone. And for some of us, that's a really nice thing because we never did like those physical contacts. <laughs> and for others of us who are very tactile, it's, a, it's an awful kind of thing. That's, we don't know what it's going to be, but be assured, rest assured, everything is happening. It's going to be a, it has been achieved for us in Christ Jesus because the plans of God are achieved for us by Jesus' death and resurrection by the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, by the inspiration of God's Holy Word. So by his death for our sins, by his resurrection to rule over the world, by his pouring out of his Spirit, bringing us to new birth and transforming us to be ready for the kingdom to come, God is at work in everything that matters in our life. It's been achieved for us and it has been applied to us by the Word of God. We wouldn't know any of that except the gospel word, except the Old Testament word. It's the word of God which tells us of God's plans for the future, tells us of God's plans for the world, tells us of God's plans for our future, tells us of what the past was about that explains it to us and what the future holds and how we're to live between the past and the future it's the word of God inspired and taught by the spirit of Christ to the Old Testament prophets and in the New Testament evangelism. That's where you find out everything about life in the now. And our society needs to hear it. They really do need to hear it. I, I went and talked. I can't tell you who. Uh, I was talking to a man and his wife the other day, professional people that I'd gone to see for professional reasons, and uh, they asked how things were going, and as we're all asking these days, how you're coping with COVID and the rest, and the lockdowns and not being able to go out, etc., and how you're coping, and I told them the great joy of being able to preach. I preached in Auckland, I preached uh, in Christchurch, I preached in Wollongong, and I preached in Durham, all in the same week. And you know what? I didn't get jet lag. <laughs> this is the best I've ever I didn't even actually leave the study. And I could preach around the world. This is a new good world to be in. This is a fantastic world. Some people actually got benefits out of what we're doing here. And so I'm telling them, this is really good. And we're now getting people listening into sermons that we don't normally know. These two people are very lovely people. But as far as I know, they're not Christians. They certainly are not churchgoers. And the, the wife said to me, yes. This is the time when we do need to think again about what life's about, don't we? You 
see, God is at work in the world, bringing about his purposes his way. May not be the way I've designed a program for world evangelism, but hey, I'm not much of a good designer for world evangelism. God knows what he's doing. We must work in the way in which his scripture tells us to. Let's pray. Father of heaven, we do pray that you'd help us to take hold of the opportunities of this day that you've given us, that we may proclaim the excellencies of your work in the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Pour out your spirit upon our people, please, Father. Open their hearts and minds. Use this time of reflection, this time of sickness, this time of fears and anxieties that people have. Use the times of unemployment and economic insecurity that we have. Use these times that you've created, please, Father, to bring the Lord Jesus and his salvation to the hearts and minds of many thousands of people. Use us, please, Father, to take your message out for others' salvation, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.